Hi there, this is Pastor Tim. I'm the minister at Eastside Church. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, and inclusive. And we are thrilled that you found our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church community, you can visit us at www.eastsideatl.org. Well, again, friends, good morning. It is good, it is good to be with you and to have the inaugural opening of our newest East Side artist taking place on stage as well. We are grateful for the, the capacity that we have once again to experience live artists in our midst. We have missed that, though we have greatly appreciated the the, the beautiful spectrum of ways the arts ministry has portrayed its work for us through video, through film. We are blessed to be back in and experiencing it happening in real time during the, the worship experience. If you are tuned in and you're a guest with us, or if you're in our space this morning and you're a guest with us, again, we hope that you have felt warmly welcomed by our community. Um, but it may be helpful for you to know that this morning brings us to the completion of what has been our, our Easter Tide or Easter worship series, and we've been experiencing sort of what the, the forest floor experiences on the other side of a wildfire. Last year in the United States and beyond was, was yet again a record year in terms of wildfires, and it's one of these realities that kind of got overshadowed, rightly so, with, with all that's been going on with, with social justice in our country, racial justice, and of course with the pandemic, that, that when you think of 2020, you don't immediately think of wildfires, but it was a huge year for wildfires as well. So we've been, been looking at how a forest kind of rebuilds itself stage by stage on the other side of that kind of devastation. And last Sunday, we arrived at the canopy, the, the top, the, the, the sort of crowning achievement of a beautiful forest. And this morning, as we bring that series to its completion, we also celebrate Pentecost Sunday as we consider the fruit of a healthy forest. So this morning we're going to observe the, the traditional reading from the book of Acts on that, that Pentecost 2,000 years ago when Jesus had recently ascended to be with God and the disciples were huddled, gathered together with, with the, the other followers of the Christ in the upper room when this wild unleashing of God takes place in their lives and in the Jesus movement and story and for our world. So friends, for those here in the space, I invite you as you're able to stand with me. And for those who are in the digital space, I invite you to adopt a posture of, that allows for you to receive and to experience sacred scripture in, in, in your space and in this time in whatever place you may find yourself in. And as I read, I invite you all to listen for the word of God. 
When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared on them, and a tongue rested on each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem, and at the great sound, a crowd gathered around them and was bewildered because each person heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, those in the crowd asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it then that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed. And they were saying to one another, what does this mean? Others sneered and said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and he addressed them, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you supposed. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon slaves... Men and women in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. And then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friends, the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. God, I ask the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts in this time would indeed be found good, right, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. As I preach, God, I ask that these words that I have prepared might indeed become your word, be translated into your word for your people in this time and in the week and weeks to come. May we be moved by and through these expressions of language and may the work be done in us that needs to be done so that we can grow in the ways that we need to grow. All of this we ask in the name of the Christ. And everyone said and typed, amen. Friends, you may be seated.
Well, if you did not grow up in a tradition that celebrated Pentecost each year as a part of their liturgical life, then the word itself might be foreign. It might be a word that you vaguely associate with certain kinds of Christians who are a little bit more colorful in their worship experiences, perhaps. But as Roxy began to recount in her meditation and as, as the more I've learned about this, this, this word and this event teaches, it's actually this really ancient Hebrew um, traditional day of the year that they celebrated year by year by year, generation by generation. And we as Christians come together 2,000 years later, as we do with many of our liturgical events, and it's not that we don't celebrate the, the Jewish meaning of the holiday, but we have our sort of Christian experience of their celebration of the Jewish holiday, right? It's like that... that when you talk about that, remember that one Christmas where Uncle Tom went off the rails or whatever? And it was less about Christmas and more about the experience of Uncle Tom or whatever. And with, with Scripture and with, with these, these experiences, we come to Pentecost first through the lens of the disciples and through the story of Jesus. But, but that only begins to make sense when you also understand everything that comes behind that and gives that context. And it's really easy to forget that this wasn't the first time that Pentecost was celebrated and it wouldn't be the last. And for generations upon generations, this was an ancient Jewish festival. And, and I think it's worth asking on a Sunday like this, when we remember this unique celebration of Pentecost when the disciples had this experience of the Holy Spirit, why, why does the Holy Spirit decide to come at this particular festival? And there is a lot, there is a lot of Jewish festivals, more than I could, you know, in trivia, give you enough background on. And, and they go deep and they go wide and many of them have multiple layers of, of, and depth of meaning. And, and why Pentecost of all the, the various festivals? Why, why is it here that the, the story of Acts chapter two, so we're still in the beginning, Jesus has just ascended in chapter one. The story of Acts chapter two, why does it turn the way that it does at this moment? I think it's an important question to ask because the more I kind of came at the text and at this story from this question, it actually sort of uncovered multiple layers and ways of thinking about Pentecost that are actually quite rich and, and give like a whole new level of meaning to this, this event that we celebrate with our Jewish siblings year in and year out as liturgical church community. Pentecost was a large enough Jewish holiday that at this time the, the Jewish people had experienced the diaspora, so they were spread out. They weren't all just living in Israel. They were living in many various surrounding um, parts of the ancient world. And we read the, the 
the names of many of those parts of the ancient world in the, in the reading. But Pentecost was a big enough tribal celebration that people would have paid the money to travel to be there during Pentecost. It also may have been that this was a time when, when, when there was a movement at hand for folks who had been living abroad to begin to move back to Jerusalem to move back to Israel. So there could also be some people who had recently bought property or had moved there from wherever they had grown up as Jewish people. So there may have been a mixture of both new, new residents who'd moved in but, but still spoke the, the tribal tongue of where they were raised and also just people there to celebrate the, the, the feast itself. And if you think about especially the, the, the sort of international nature of this festival, right? Because there were people from all of these different cultures who had gathered one God, Yahweh, but, but these different languages and experiences and, and children who are literally being raised not on Jewish soil but in other lands but coming here to, to be Jewish together, there's this interesting, right, unity or like centralness to this text and to this experience, but there's also like this embedded, built-in like diversity and like the branches kind of going out in all these different directions, but they're all attached, right, to this, this central Jewish foundation or, or, or trunk of the tree, if you will, to Yahweh and to the worship of Yahweh. So there's this far, far nature to this text, but there's also this nearness and this familiarity that people would have had as they gathered back together with their siblings, some, some which they would have known, some which they maybe didn't know, some who couldn't even speak the same language as they did, which is kind of a wild thing to think about to go on a, a pilgrimage to your religious holy site and then to get there and not be able to read any of the inscriptions or hear the priests or the pastors or the religious people, what they're saying, or understand it at least. But that's, that's what Luke is, the author of Acts, that's what Luke is painting here as the picture, as he's setting up this, this wild experience that was had so why now, why Pentecost? I think there's a really profound sort of obvious reason, which is Pentecost was a large enough gathering that it would have drawn from the four corners of the known world, the Jewish diaspora. But I think that there's actually even a deeper reason or reasons that are worth spending a little bit of time with. And Roxy, Roxy got it got at those at an at a introductory level in her meditation, and that is that there's kind of a two-fold meaning to, to what the ancient Jewish people thought Pentecost was about. And the first was, is it was their remembrance of and their celebration of the, the story of Moses receiving the Torah from Yahweh back in Exodus. So the, the ancient Egypt, the ancient Hebrew People had been liberated from Egypt and now they were out in the wilderness and Moses gets called out by God and God reveals God's, God's word, God's plan. What I like to think of kind of as God's first steps for this Jewish society 
to begin to set themselves apart and align themselves with their God, Yahweh, in ways that would be distinctive and indistinguishable from their ancient Near Eastern neighbors. So God's kind of like giving Moses the first sort of path, the first way of being human that's going to be unique and different, the first steps. It's not the whole, it's not the beginning, the middle, and the end, but it's like, hey, let's start with not murdering one another. Which sounds funny to you, but if you would have lived in that time and culture and place, they would have been like, that's radical. What do you mean like, you can't murder people? We don't have, they didn't have places to lock people up back then. So what do you, what do, you do, right? I mean, they had enemies everywhere. They didn't have modern technology and fencing and all of that. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't covet. Don't commit adultery. Don't on and on through the commandments. Only worship Yahweh. Because what, what Yahweh knew was that a people are formed in their practice by what they believe about their creator. What they believe about God will ultimately impact the way they as a society treat one another and treat the world. And, and, and God wanted them to be shaped only by what they understood to be true about Yahweh. Not a God of violence, retribution, but a God of love and of creation and of new life. So Moses, he receives sort of the, the early blueprint for Jewish society in the Torah. Kind of the, these basic starting points. If, if a society wanted to live into the way that God dreamt humanity might be, this is a good way to start. Don't kill each other. Stop stealing from each other because then that leads to people killing each other. Don't cheat on each other's spouses. Don't steal from one another's homes. A lot of this stuff's basic neighborliness, right? Don't steal your neighbor's donkey. They need that donkey, maybe, I assume. So the Pentecost celebration is first and foremost about the celebration of the revelation of God's initial and starting directional way for these ancient Jewish people in the wilderness. It's about the shaping of their ancestors' culture and world. A world that was to be focused around a seven-day week that included six days for your work and a seventh day for, anybody know? Rest, Rest that's right. I love that a child said that. It's, it's part of the Ten Commandments. Don't murder is next to take a day for rest. We don't often juxtapose those two on a bumper sticker, but maybe we should. Because that's how serious God took the human's need, not only to step aside from their labor, but to step aside for the purpose of communally placing themselves next to their neighbors who were all communally placing themselves before their God. You can't do worship if you work seven days a week. You won't have the physical time, capacity, the mental, emotional space or energy to do so. God knows this, and God's working with the people who've recently come out of generational slavery in Egypt, where they worked day by day by day by day with no rest. So the Torah is not for, for the ancient Hebrews, is not like this oppressive thing. It's 
We just got liberated from oppression, and now the maker's like showing us how to live. Not just leaving us without a guidepost, but just is actually giving us the way as this new society out in the wilderness to live. I want you to think about Torah with Moses, and I want you to imagine, as, as Roxy had in the video, think of Torah as a seed. Like, imagine a seed, imagine Torah, law, and I want you to begin to put those two associations together. Moses brings a seed that God gave him to plant in the society of ancient Judaism to see what might happen. Now we fast forward to Jesus, and Jesus has this essential message at the core of his teachings. If you've been around Eastside for a while, you've heard it. If you've been through our membership class, you've heard it. And it's the axis of love comes from Jesus' teaching. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as your... Very good. Love God... There's a vertical channel of love between humanity and the divine, horizontal channel of love between human to human that's always informed and infused and empowered by our channeling of God's love into us. Love God and love other human beings. That's the basic like, underlying message of Jesus' ministry. It gets hashed out and worked out in a lot of different ways, but it's modeled and it's preached and it's taught in this live a life in, in sort of consummate, intense love of Yahweh, of the Creator, and in service to God, and in intense love of and service to one another. And Jesus spoke of this as the kingdom of God entering the world. Citizens who would begin to align the way that they practice and live and behave with this other kingdom, so Rome doesn't teach the axis of love. Rome teaches what axis? The axis of the, come on. What is this? What else is it? It's a sword, right? An upside down cross becomes a sword. Jesus dies in a cross. Rome wields a sword. And Jesus comes proclaiming this alien kingdom coming on this planet, and he's trying to, to round up a group of followers who will swear allegiance to a kingdom of another world, of another deity, of, of his people's tribal deity, but who is different from Rome and from the other gods and ways of being that the ancient Near Eastern world embraced. And Jesus said, I come bringing the kingdom of God into the world. Jesus constantly uses agrarian language, farming language, talks about seeds and weeds and planting and harvesting. He gets mad at a fig tree one time because I guess he's hungry and the fig tree's not growing any figs. So he curses the fig tree and it dies. That's in the Bible. <laughs> the second meaning to the, the ancient Passover, P Pentecost celebration is that of the first fruits of the grain harvest. 
The ancient Jewish people were agrarian. They lived off the land, and apparently there was a, a first round of harvest that was gathered. And my, my sense is that if they gathered and that first harvest was good, it probably meant that the latter harvest was going to be even better. And Pentecost was this dual celebration of, of the farm on the one hand and of, of the law and of God and religion on the other hand, and they were brought together as you would praise and celebrate God in joy for the abundance of the harvest. And they would bring part of that harvest with them and offer it in worship. The harvest of the first fruits, Pentecost, the first fruits of the spring. Which is interesting if you think about Jesus and his 12 disciples and the work that he did with them. And you think about Moses and his Torah that God gave him. And think about the time that Jesus spends with his disciples, working through with them, teaching them. Jesus knows his Old Testament really well. He is well-versed in Torah. And Jesus' work essentially is building on and building out what begins with, with the Torah. The Shema is, is an ancient Jewish idea. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. This is from ancient Jewish scripture that Jesus is then taking and making central and saying, this is the kingdom of God, people. Disciples of mine, if you love God and love one another the way that I'm about to teach you, you will turn the world over in a matter of years. If you can get this critical piece of this message, then it becomes this seed that can then take root and can move outward and expand. So it's almost as though Jesus comes and he embraces Moses' Torah, but then he sort of adds, tweaks, and then boils it down. So Jesus comes with this message, this sort of, sort of new Torah, and it's the Torah of love. It's the Torah of the, the axis of love of God and love of humanity to the point of selfless sacrifice and a willingness to give of yourself to make God's will for this world a reality. And Pentecost then... Before Jesus and his disciples get to it, Pentecost is about Moses receiving the ancient law, the, the original blueprints for Jewish society, and about the celebration of the first fruits of the spring harvest. Now let's think about Jesus. Jesus and his message, they are now a seed. And the disciples, they are blooming into apostles. Jesus has just ascended. The ascension story was last Sunday. And when Jesus ascends in the book of Acts and at the end of the book of Luke, what's happening? But Jesus is sort of stepping aside and saying, all right, disciples, I'm stepping out of the room and I'm giving you the space to step in and to begin to do the work because you're only going to learn to do this if you do it yourself. And Jesus steps out and allows the disciples to lean in and in so doing allows them to bloom into apostles. And then this is the first big story that happens after the ascension. They, they, they go, they gather, they pray. And we're told that this wild thing happens with the Holy Spirit blowing through their gathering space. And 
Luke does the best he can to describe what I guess were, some said looked like tongues of divided fire that was hovering over people's heads. I don't know what they saw. I don't know what was actually physically present, but what we know is, is that, that that image is what somehow empowered the disciples to do this thing that otherwise they should not have been able to do, which was to proclaim the, the message of the kingdom, the seed of the Torah of love, to all of these gathered Jewish people from across the world in languages that they did not know so that these people could then take that message, that seed, and go back to their lives and to their world and see what the Spirit would do with it. Why Pentecost? Because Pentecost is the dual celebration of the giving of the Torah and in Jesus, humanity receives sort of Torah 2.0. And it's the celebrating of the first fruits of the Torah at work in the lives of humanity, which we see in the disciples and Jesus' earliest followers. The Torah of divine love for and through humanity. The disciples who were now becoming the seed-bearing plants themselves. And if you think about all these gathered diaspora Jews, you might think of little, little pots of potted plants, metaphorically, scattered all throughout Jerusalem, who are primed to receive the message. And we're told that by the end of the day, after the disciples do all this preaching and then they get accused of drinking wine at 9 a.m. and then Peter's like, I should probably step up here and talk. And he does. And we're told that by the end of that day, 3,000 people are baptized. And I'd never thought about this before, but since we're running with the agrarian seed language, I mean, what does a new seed need but a good dunk in some water, right? What does a seed need but a good dunk in some water so that it can sprout? You don't even have to put a seed in the ground. You just get it wet and it can sprout, right? Kind of a cool image to think about 3,000 seeds being baptized and then those baptized seeds, many of them going back to their hometowns to see what God was going to do with them. I like Pentecost Sunday. It's a really... It's a really special and unique day of the Christian liturgical life. Many call it the birthday of the church. And it's a day that we come back to every year just as our ancient Jewish forerunners did and do. And I think this year in particular, it's a really unique year to come to Pentecost because this is the second Sunday where we have humans like you all in, in the pews and participating in worship in addition to the folks that are out in the land of our digital gathering. And the thing about a field is that fields have a yearly cycle to them. They, they grow crops, you plant the seeds, they grow, they, 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 they put out the crop and you harvest it, then they sit for a while, then they get tilled and replanted. And it's an interesting thought that it's, it's, 
It's almost like we're in a season as the universal church, as the individual church, and as individual Christians even maybe, where God is, is encouraging us and offering us this moment of re-envisioning ourselves as seed and re-envisioning ourselves with kind of a fresh field in front of us and with the opportunity to be planted somewhere and to spring up in some new way. Because the thing about a field that grows corn is that even if it grows corn year after year, every corn plant that grows the next year is different than the year before. There's not an identical one. And I wonder if sometimes the way that we're called to be church together, to be followers of Christ individually, yeah, maybe we're still a an apple tree, but maybe we're called to do that in a fresh and a different way, in new ways. And maybe all those seeds that, that spread in those diaspora Jewish pots that then went back to their communities after being baptized, who knows how they embodied the gospel message, the story, the axis of love in their lives and in their communities. We, we, we don't know all of, all of what happened. There's legends about offshoots and branches that went this way and that way. But we don't know all of what happened. And 2,000 years later, we don't know all of what has happened in, in and within and through the work of the Christ in our world. So much has taken place that has not been written down. And so much, my friends, I believe God wants to do in new ways, in fresh ways. And the more I thought about this seed thing, the more I thought about this seed thing is that if the kingdom of God, if Jesus tore a 2.0 through his disciples is, is like a seed that, that goes in the soil and germinates and sprouts and all of this, I think it's a mysterious and a complex and a surprising seed. And by that I mean I don't think it's all corn plants or bean plants or wheat plants. I think if you plant a seed filled with seeds of the kingdom of God, it's going to grow up and every plant's going to look different. None of them are going to look the same. I don't think there's any two humans embodying the axis of God's love in their life for one another and for the world. I don't think there's any two humans that do that exactly the same way, and I don't think God wants you to. I think it's okay to have some ways in common, but I don't think that there's any expectation by the divine that we all look and sound and live and are exactly the same as one another and that our, our religious practices mirror one another perfectly. I think instead of, of, of the, the form being the same, I think what God is much more interested in is the, the, like the function of your fruit the attributes of your fruit. I don't know that it matters if your fruit's purple or red or yellow or gray. I don't know that it matters as long as it follows the, the attributes outlined by the message of the axis of love. Does your fruit do harm? <laughs> Is it poisonous? 
then you might reconsider, right? Does, does the fruit you bear, is it helpful? Is it helpful for the world? Is it helpful for the humans in your vicinity? Does the fruit that you bear, is it, is it bringing, making God's goodness and justice and love more expansive in the world? Or is it making it less? Is it drawing the world back in the wrong direction? And you can apply the, this question about fruit to almost anything. You can apply it to the job you work, to the daily life that you lead, to the relationships that you're in, to the products that you use. You can ask about almost anything, what, what's the fruit? What kind of fruit is, is that producing? What kind of fruit is my role in my workplace producing? What kind of fruit is my workplace producing for the world? Is it making the world a better, more beautiful, more just place, or is it taking the world in the wrong direction? Thus, I am culpable and a part of a system that's taking the world not in the direction of the kingdom of God, but in the direction of the kingdom of humans. And, and, and we can... We can ask this question about fruit and fruitfulness of churches and of ministries and of friendships, right? There may be people that you, you've been friends with for a long time and you, you ask, but is it bearing good fruit? Or is that, is that have, we all, have we changed so much that it's now this weird toxic thing that, that happens? And maybe that needs to be reevaluated. We, we know what good fruit is, y'all. And we can easily do the work of imagining what, what fruit as an axis applied to the love of God and to the love of human beings, how that would work together. Is it doing harm? Is it bringing good? Am I doing harm? Am I bringing good? Is my role in this organization or that relationship or that way of being, is it fruitful? Is it good? I could say a lot more about this, this idea and this concept, but it's a fascinating thing to think, to me, to think that like all of us are met with this this beautiful capacity to, to meet with the divine life and to sprout into this reality that brings God joy and that makes our world a better place. And, and the, the interesting thing about it is that it's not just about the fruit that we produce. And I want to end with this because I think it's really important in our consumeristic society because sometimes we've, we want to relegate our religious traditions to like, well, what, you know, like what bottom line, are, what are they doing on, on the paper to show that they've done X, Y, or Z? And sometimes for some of us, that's, that's not even our calling, but, but your calling is just to be the fruit. Like your plant is the, the fruit. You are the fruit. Like, it's not even about what you do or don't produce, but it's just by your very being in the world that you're making the world better and more beautiful and more true. And that's an important, important reality because some of us are in seasons where it's not about what you produce, but it's about keeping your kids alive. <laughs> it's about 
surviving in whatever situation you may be struggling through, but surviving in such a way, right, that it's not turning people around you further away from the good, the true, and the beautiful, but that in the way you're surviving your traumatic scenario and situation, people, people are astonished by you, or they experience wonder by the way that you live into and through and around and with what's come your way in life. It's not always about the bottom line of what we produce. Sometimes we are the production. Sometimes we are the fruit as the plant. So friends, this Pentecost, may we all be imaginative and may we realize that all of us have a yearly opportunity, if not a daily, momentarily new opportunity to grow and to express the divine life of God in and through us in our world. And it's always an open reality and an open invitation before us. So let's not walk out those doors or turn off our YouTube feeds and just let it go by the wayside. But, but make this Pentecost 2021, make it real, make it sink, make it dig in, make it, make it a chance for something new to sprout in, with, and through you in and for our world. In the name of God, the maker, the creator, God, the redeemer, God, our sustainer, and everyone said, Amen. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed this week's message, and we look forward to seeing you soon. If you listen from afar and you would like to support the work that we are doing in East Atlanta and on Atlanta's east side, you can visit our website, www.eastsideatl.org, and find our giving portal there.